Hi everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk and I am your host Leela Winston. I pray that you are well and that God is blessing in your life. As you know, we come together to read and study in the Word of God so that we can practically apply it to our lives and also to discover the purpose of our lives so that we can enact that in the earth as God wills according to his divine purpose. So guys, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I pray that you have been well. Um, as you know, um, we have just finished a series and I hope that you have uh, enjoyed that series. Um, I would encourage you to, you know, kind of study whatever one of those spiritual gifts you feel really speaks to you. Um, but today we're actually going to do an interesting study that I think really goes back to the heart of who we are as individuals and also as sons of God. And that is really what I want to focus on today. I think you'll see lots of parallels in your own life. So there will be things that you can, you know, um, sort of apply to your own life. And so if you would go ahead and grab your Bible, we're going to go into the Word of God. Um, we're going to read in 1 Samuel and we're going to read... Uh, for, I'm sorry, First Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 1 until verse 5. So it's only five uh, verses. Again, that's First Samuel, okay, chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 5, and I will go ahead and get started. It says, And the men of Kirjurathrium came and fetched the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjurathrium that time was long for it was 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your heart, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroths from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balim and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And so we're looking at a moment where Israel is being consecrated um, in their relationship with the Lord. And I have to tell you something. Um, you know, when I read this scripture in my own private time in, in study, I had a couple of questions. And I don't know why they came to me. Maybe you instantly know the answers to these. But I had two questions, right? This passage really brought two ideas to my mind. The first question I wanted to know is, what did they get from serving other gods, right? Because like God had been so good to them, right? I can't really see like, well, why would you suddenly say, yeah, you know what? I've been serving the most high God and he's done all this great stuff for me. But you, but today I'm going to serve Ashtaroth because, because why? Like, <laughs> what did he do? So that's the first question I would have to ask, you know, if I were in their position. And then the second question I wanted to know is, you know, what did they get from serving those other gods? Like, what tangibly did you get? Like we know that they are stone and wood and bronze or whatever, and people pray to many different things, but here they are praying to this God that they do not know that has not really done anything for them in essence. And why would they pray to these other gods? And what did they get from that? You know, so those are the two questions that came to my mind. You know, why did they do it? You know, what made them do it? And what do you, they get from doing it? Because if you don't have a living God, 
you know, it's kind of interesting, you know what I mean, to kind of pray to uh, something that is inanimate, right? And that isn't really making an impact on your life. And so in, in sort of thinking about this, you know, I had to start thinking about the kinds of idols and the kinds of things that we do as human beings in our own life, the kinds of ways that we see the world. And I think it really does come down to that. And, you know, one of the questions I asked myself was, well, maybe they were seduced into it, right? Like there's this scripture that talks about seducing uh, spirits or doctrines of demons. And I thought, well, maybe there was some sort of seduction in that, some sort of seduction in, you know, praying to an Ashtaroth. This is a God that they have no idea about, right? So maybe there was something, you know, sexy about it, you know, that maybe I can't see because I'm not in that context. I'm not in that time period. And so me just reading the Bible and seeing them go from this great, powerful living God that could, you know, snatch them from this huge oppressor in Egypt and then suddenly deciding, yeah, let's pray to this. I don't get it. But maybe there was something in context that was seductive about praying for it. And I just want to read in Hosea chapter eight and four, um, what it says, right? It says, they have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold, have they made them idols that they may be cut off? They, uh, thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be that they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also the workmen made it. Therefore, it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. And so this scripture I thought was interesting. And, you know, this was from another time in my Bible study. I'm trying to, you know, sort of put these ideas together of like, what really are they getting from, you know, serving the Ashtaroth? I, I don't understand it. And, you know, when I read this passage here in Hosea, it really made me think that, you know, they were crafting these idols themselves. A lot of times they were crafting the idols. It wasn't like, you know, they bought it from some guy, <laughs> I guess. I, I don't really know how that works, but um, they were crafting it. There was a craftsman that was making it. So the idols were actually crafted by them. These gods were crafted by them. And it also says in Hosea, which I think is interesting, that it says the kings were chosen by them. And I think a lot of times we don't understand the import of what it means in the context of Israel for them to choose their own king and it not be chosen by God. Because really the underlying point of them even having a king was that God would choose the king, right? He chose David. Um, so I think that's an important point we sometimes may overlook. And so we make our idols, you know, or we make these gods. And sometimes we allow others to make it. Like I said, maybe they could have been buying these Ashtaroths and, you know, whatever, Chemosh or whatever these other gods were. Maybe they were buying them from others. Maybe they were allowing other people to make them because obviously this isn't their tradition. So they're going to need someone to kind of give them, show them the ropes or how to uh, participate, right? So I think that, you know, idols are actually not recognized by God in the same way that he said, your kings were chosen by you. So the things that they have put up, these new gods, these Ashtaroths, even their kings were not chosen by him. So he's saying, I didn't choose these gods that you're bowing down to, and I didn't choose your king. So it seems like their leadership is completely off base. They're going in the wrong direction. And when you think of religion and when you think of leadership, that is the same thing. Religion, and I know that's going to, you can push back on me on that, but I would say that, you know, sometimes a person's religious compass is far more powerful 
than uh, the leadership of someone else, someone's leadership in their life, right? Like if someone tells me to do something that is bad, because of the leadership that I follow when it comes to Christ, I'm gonna say no, he's more of a leader to me. I'll abandon you. <laughs> if you want me to do something bad, I'm not going to do it just because you know, you're someone that proclaims you, you can lead someone, right? And so I think that leadership and religion have something very much in common. And so uh, I think also if we look at Hosea chapter eight and nine from the passage that we just read, it says, for they are gone up to Assyria like a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim have hired lovers. And I think we never really, we read this and it just seems kind of poetic, at least for me it does. It just seems kind of poetic, but he's saying things when he says that. So in verse nine, when we read that, it says that they hired lovers and they did so like a wild ass. I think these are two points that are key and you must understand the sort of nonsensical nature of that phrase in and of itself. You cannot hire someone to love you, <laughs> right? But I mean, there are people who might argue against that, but you really can't. And I think that, you know, if people were wise about it, they would see that. And if you do hire them, you're only deceiving yourself. And that really is the bottom line. When we think of people who try to buy off love and lovers and, I don't know, paramours for money, um, you know, oftentimes they get, they end up with someone extremely treacherous, <laughs> because they're, that person is willing to kind of sell themselves for a little cash. And so it's why both men and women who use money to attract or keep paramours for lovers or spouses have actually deceived themselves because that other person is not deceived. And that is an idol which that they have created of their own making. And I think sometimes we don't realize that we're creating these different gods in our life. We like to look at uh, the Israelites and we like to say, oh my God, why would they bow down to Ashtaroth? Oh my God, why would they bow down to Chemosh or any other God that is there, Balim? You know, we always think of that, but sometimes we don't see the things in our own life. There's actually a Bible study here where I go into depth about the kinds of idols that we make in our life and it's called uh, big dreams and small, it's called small gods and big dreams, right? And I think that's really an important thing. I wanna encourage you to uh, listen to that Bible study here at Love Walk Podcast. Uh, it really kind of goes into depth about some of the ways in which we put people and things and ideas um, above God. So I think that's really important for us to understand. And I think when we realize that even this, this scenario of kind of going up to hire lovers, we see that in the end, it's really kind of ill-advised. And in the end, we're just sad and, and, and mourn because that was a bad idea. And I think that wild ass part, he says they've gone up to hire lovers like a wild ass. And I think that's important because a, a wild ass kind of meanders and follows his own inclinations as he travels. He is not you know, on schedule or bound by rules. And God doesn't want a people that doesn't have a sense of, I guess you could say a sense of, you know, care or love for other people in the way that they set boundaries for themselves. And that's really the point. God wants you to be able to set boundaries for yourself, set boundaries for others. Um, and this is a part of love. There's actually a Bible study here called Love is a Boundary. And I want to encourage you to check it out because it really talks about what love means when we're talking about being with others, right? So they chose other gods so that they might do what was in their heart to do. I think that's so huge because, you know, that kind of answered the question for me. As I was reading these other 
you know, um, scriptures, it started coming to me. Oh, you know what? I'm starting to understand why they did this, like why they decided to do this. Mankind will always have gods and they will always have idols because they needed to give them divine permission to do what they already want. And that's really the point of a God. That's really the point of an idol. They need many altars for the many gods that take precedent in their life over the one true and living God. It is why the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, that rebellion and stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. It's a really big part of our lives. Gods represent the things that we want, right? They represent the things that we desire or the things that we feel we should do. Look again at Hosea chapter 8 and 11. It says, because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin altars shall be unto him to sin so he's setting up situations where he can worship the things that he cares about right and i think we all do that to some degree and i think that is why we have to learn and that we have to unlearn and we have to pray and we have to think about what the lord is saying so they've made their new altars right to do the things that they want it is why we hear and why we see you know denominations and certain religious leaders sort of changing their doctrinal positions and declaring certain things to be defunct or ceasing in the body of Christ or now accepted in the body of Christ. And we see this because people change their religion to fit their desires, the desires of their heart, instead of changing their own heart to fit the desires of God's eternal will. And I think that's really the point there. And we change God's word to fit our logic you know, instead of learning the logic of the kingdom of heaven, right? There are people who are, well, I don't see this. I don't really think this is true. Well, that's because that's your logic. <laughs> it's not God's logic. And that's okay for you to have your own, but you just can't make that your God. You can't make that your religion if you dare to be someone who follows the Bible, right? You know knowledge and intellect, you know, uh, your knowledge and intellect at times can be a God. And I think we don't acknowledge that. It is very easy. I went to a very uh, prestigious university and I met very smart people who were so smart. It just blows your socks off. Right. And I mean, these people knew so much stuff, you know, in science and tech and in, you know, political science. And when you had conversations with them, some people their knowledge was everything. What they knew was what they depended on for everything, right? So yes, even knowledge can be a God. And so when God is silent, right, we experiment in the occult and also with idols. That's something that we do sometimes. When we want insight about the future, ourselves, or even others, you know, maybe that God hasn't given us, God hasn't given you any kind of revelation, but we want to know. So maybe we try tarot or maybe we try astrology. And we see this with Saul and the witch at Endor in Samuel chapter 28 and 7. This is really a powerful story. And if you have a chance, I want to encourage you to read it. Saul needed direction in his life. He needed it. And he's being humble enough to say, hey, I need direction. And there are times when we all need direction, right? But the truth is that, and I have to say this, because I know nobody likes to say this, but sometimes God doesn't tell you what to do. You are in a quandary, you need direction, and you hear zero, zip, nada from God. It's as though he's decided to just leave the building. 
and and that's the point I'm making. And there are, we all have these times. So I think we can identify with with Saul because he's in one of these moments where he needs direction. He needs to know what to do. This is a pivotal time in his life, and he doesn't have anyone to inquire. He and he's asked the Lord, and there's silence. So what do you do when there's silence, right? And you know, if we can be honest. There are those times we've prayed, and there's just nothing. We there's no idea, you know, that's coming to your mind. Nothing, right? And that is problematic. If you really need to know, because when you need to know the next step, and God is silent, it means you have to choose yourself. It means you have to use what you know. It means that you have to do what you believe or think will work best in your own reasoning. And so the quality of that choice is actually going to be based on how you've practiced God's word and transformed your mind. See, a wise man once said, and I want you to remember this quote or remember this concept, that the time when the teacher is most silent is during a test, during the exam. The teacher is the most silent during an exam, and this is often the case with God. He is testing whether we will put into practice what we've learned and how we have transformed our mind, and this is why study of God's word and practical application is so vital, because you'll be prepared when life surprises you. So when I tell you guys, study your Bible, you know, put that、uh, word to use, live it out in your daily lives. There's a reason I'm telling you to do that, because a lot of people struggle in life because they don't know the word of God. And they can't apply it, or because they do know the word of God but have not used it, so then it merely is head knowledge to them, and they cannot consistently apply it for results. You see, the star basketball player makes the winning shot because he has been practicing that shot every day for years. The same for the star soccer or football player who always seems to score during a match. It comes from practice. Practice helps him transform his mind. You know, I don't know if you know this, but in science or in biology, the cerebellum actually records our movements, and we can intentionally commit certain operations to memory through practice. Right? So it's it's like how you know to just jump on a bike. Once you learn how to ride a bike, you pretty much know how you can just kind of drive a car and be on cruise control. You're not really thinking about it and end up in front of your house or in front of your place of work. It's because we've committed these certain actions to our mind, right? And God is asking us to do the same thing when He talks about transforming our mind, right, with the Word of God. It's the renewing of the mind. And like that athlete, you have been supernaturally given the spiritual capacity through the Holy Spirit. We could call that natural ability. And now you just need the mind to grasp it through the practice and coaching in the Word of God. That is what it means when we read. That is what it means when we study. That is what it means when we put it into practice in our lives. When we hear from others and we consult with others and commune with other believers, is that we are trying to commit that to an action that we can perform in difficult times. And so our practice comes in transforming the mind and being doers of the Word of God. And guarding our heart, and so when we have not learned or practiced to do it God's way, when the time arises for the clinch shot, we miss the goal, or we throw an air ball at the hoop, 
And this happens more so when we get used to going in our own way, like Saul did, right? We go back to Saul. There's a reason why he went to inquire uh, of the witch at Endor. And we see this with Saul choosing to go ahead with a sacrifice also when Samuel delayed to arrive before a battle. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. I think that's also a great story too because I think we've all had times when we felt like God delayed. And so what do you do when you've been obedient, but God is silent in your most pressing moment, right? The Bible says that stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. It has a similar effect because it is bound in pride and in getting what we want, even if it is rooted in a legitimate threat or need. So yes, you can have a legitimate threat, you can have a legitimate need, but the point of the matter is when we're too focused on getting what it is that we want, sometimes that thing that we want, that desire, becomes a God unto itself. And so we must distinguish between the two and determine to follow God's way even when we don't know, right? Just like I said, if you've been practicing the word and living the word, When that time comes and it seems like you don't hear anything from God, you're going to keep following God's path. And that is the really important part. In fact, the first sentence in the Bible where the concept of God's apart from Yahweh was introduced was in Genesis, right? In Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 by Satan. He lied to Eve and told her that she could be like the gods, even though she already was fashioned in the image of the only God and that there were no other gods that are before God. That is what the Lord actually tells us. So you're not confused, like maybe some other gods out there. No, God tells you at point blank period in Isaiah chapter 44, verse six. But I want us to look in Genesis and see what the serpent told Eve. He said, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Eve and Adam, they already were like gods, right? Because they were the only creation that was known, that we actually know of, that were created in the image of God. No other angelic or earthly being or creation has that distinction. Therefore, we see the desire to be like someone else in our own lives might actually be the greatest deception of the enemy in our lives. We are falling for the same trick that Adam and Eve did. We are often tricked into envying others when in reality, what we think we need, we have. What we think we should be, we already are. And so God in a metaphorical sense, you know, when we look at that, our sort of, his image is what we want to be, right? Or what we sort of wish to happen. And so, we are not him he has his own ways and so we are learning his way right but the gods that we create the idols that we create the things that we want so bad in a metaphorical sense they too are images of what we wish to be or what we want or what we wish to have and it's why our god jehovah is such a departure from the human concept of god because he asks us to do things that do not always serve us or our needs. Just think about your prayers to God. Most are generally self-interested and I know you're gonna say, no, I only pray about orphans and babies, but (laughs) if we can be real, most you're praying about things in your own life. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And so even the most 
wicked person on earth will actually pray when he or she gets in a very tough spot or they want something bad enough. They do so because the God is a reflection of what they want or hope for. And so while Yahweh of the Bible wants you to do the things that help and meet the needs of others and fulfill his purpose, which is not always known to us, it means that it is a departure from our will and the things that we want. And it is why stubbornness and pride is just like witchcraft. Because witchcraft at heart, just like idolatry, is about control. Not controlling ourselves, but controlling others, controlling the circumstances around us, knowing things that maybe we should not know. So the ability to control things as we want it is what we see when we look at the small gods that are in our heart and in our lives. And so it's not always for wicked ends. And I just want to put this in because a lot of people think that, you know, people, you know, sort of hold on to things because they want to do something wicked. No, it could be for a very good reason. It could, you could be trying to achieve a very good end. But a lot of times we find that people are sometimes willing to do bad things to achieve that end. And that is what we cannot do. And this can become intoxicating of trying to get the thing that you want by any means possible, right? If God wanted Adam and Eve to have that knowledge, he would have told them, but he didn't, right? If you were meant to know what's going on in your neighbor's house, then they would have told you some things you not, you need to leave alone because it's not your business, right? It's not your business because God didn't give it to you. And I think that if we follow the love that God has, in the Bible, we would follow those things and God would give it, God will give you the revelation you need, right? If there's something that you need to know, God will help you. He's not out here trying to trick you, right? And so we have to guard against wanting to know everything as Eve did. Or the other thing, or the flip side of the coin is thinking that we know everything, right? And there's actually a Bible study here called I Don't Understand. I want to encourage you to uh, listen to it. It underscores the value in acknowledging your limitations when it comes to knowledge, understanding, and even revelation. Guess revelation. It is possible for God to reveal something to you and you don't understand and that he will not even explain it to you. And we see that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, which is actually uh, one part of the anchor text of that Bible study, I Don't Understand. And I'm going to read... Daniel chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. Here it says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. So I think this is really important point here. Do not make your own ways or wills an idol just because you want to know something that God hasn't revealed, you know? There's a lot of things God might give you, you know, if you are a believer, maybe you're a prophet or whatever, God might give you a vision. He might give you, you know, a dream. You might see something you might know. You may not understand it. You might read something in the Bible and not understand it. We cannot make knowledge a God unto us, right? Do not make your way or your will or your knowledge into an idol. Do not make your desire for revelation and knowledge something you bow down toward or look for idols and, you know, finding these simple truths, right, about yourself. But that is not true. Look for the idols that are in your life and you will find the simple truth about yourself that needs to shift or change. I think that's really a powerful point. 
because from my own experience as a believer, and let me share a secret with you, a truth that by my testimony, you may grow, that in times I have wanted something so badly, it was in those moments God was revealing to me something about myself. That's right, myself. And usually in an area of pride or insecurity or doubt, right, of the goodness of God, a doubt of the goodness of God, or maybe even self-will that needed to be modified to God's will. And in these times, it can be painful to realize. But if you will ask yourself in the moment, what would God have me do? Or how can I make this serve God and not me? You will be blessed. You may reveal some painful things that needed correction within, but will bring freedom afterward. And it is it is the gods in our lives that blind us to the truth of who God is and who we truly are, right? Whether they're made of wood and stone or stubbornness and pride, your guides blind you from who God is and who you are because you are made in his likeness. And that is why gods, little gods and idols and things that we put up above God, they reflect badly on us, not because you know, uh, not just because they are things where we take the power away from God and give it to an idol, but because we cannot see ourselves in that because it does not bear our image. And so let us recap, right, what it means and why we choose idols. I think this is important to note that sometimes we choose idols when God is not enough, right? We feel like God isn't enough. He hasn't answered. He hasn't done what he needs to do, right? So now we need to supplement. We need to go to a witch. We need to go to, you know, someone who deals in familiar spirits. We need to go to a seance. We need to do something to get extra information. We need to read our uh, astrology cards or I don't really know about that or tarot, right? We need to do something like that. And so we also uh, choose idols sometimes when God's promise tarries or seems to delay. When we feel like God isn't going fast enough, a lot of times we say, well, you know what? I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to find another way. We also choose idols when we don't see ourselves correctly and we seek insight beyond what God has said about us, right? Now, God had already set everything up for Adam and Eve, and then we have the serpent coming along saying, oh, no. And so they suddenly feel like they need to know more, right? And then we choose idols when we want to go our own way. We have another plan, right? And let's be honest, sometimes we do. Your plan will not always be God's plan. And we see that even with Jesus Christ when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. So there's two wills right there, isn't it? So it means that he had to sacrifice the will that he had for the will that God had. Then we also choose idols when we have an area of pride or stubbornness about what we want, what we know, what we need, or who we think that we are. And these are problems because we deify those things and put them above what is in the word of God. Okay. And then we also choose idols when we want to be like others and not what God wants for us to be. This is really a huge one. People are out there trying to be like everybody else, not understanding that God has something specifically for you. Your exact personality, the way you are, everything is a reflection of God, right? There is a portion of him. He's so vast and so big. There is a portion of you in him. And so when you start modifying that stuff, 
that's when you start moving further away from him. And in order for us to truly see God, we have to truly serve God to know who he is. Right. And then we learn about ourselves. Right. We make our idols and we accept the idols of others when we want to do those things. So don't make an idol of something. Don't make a God of it. Don't make it, you know, the be all, the end all in your life. I've seen people make idols of cars, <laughs> of getting a spouse, of owning a home, of becoming a star. People sacrifice everything to get these things. And I want to warn you on idols because I want to tell you that some of them sit on grandiose thrones of stone, but some actually sit upright in our heart. That's right. Some are sedentary. They don't move, but some are sitting in our heart. Some are made of stone, but some are made of ideas, right? And I want to warn you about this, right? Because sometimes those ones that are sitting in our heart, they're dictating our behavior. They're dictating our moods, our emotions, and our attitudes. And so I want to point out that the first use of the word idol is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 4. And the Hebrew word for it is elil, which means essentially worthless. That's literally what it means. A, a um, idol in the Hebrew means worthless, right? And I want us to look at that in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 4. It says, turn you not into idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. And that word idol actually means worthless. So essentially, Le Levi, uh, Leviticus, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 4 tells the Hebrews not to make worthless things and molten gods. So essentially, an idol was considered a worthless thing. It had no worth, no value. But remember, an idol is something we want very badly, like the baubles and trinkets that children want in corner stores and markets that shine or tinkle but have no value. So when we want these things very badly, we can see the value in them. That's important to note. We're saying they're worthless, but when you want something very badly, you see the value. Unfortunately, God's word is implying that they have no value in his eyes. And if we are to be like him, we have to be able to see the value in things that he thinks are valuable and see the worthlessness in things that he finds worthless. So when we find ourselves wanting something very badly or holding on stubbornly to something, we need to reevaluate the thing and its value to God in our lives, not its value to us in our lives. Because if we evaluate it based on the value that it has in our lives to us, then we, when we see it, then we'll never identify it as an idol. It'll always be something necessary and wonderful. And so even we look at Saul when he was waiting on um, Samuel to come, right? We see a man who could wait no longer. He felt like time was passing and he needed an answer quickly. But if he had dared to see things like God, he would have known that delay was not a problem for God. God is not bound by time and he has never been checking his watch, right? So he doesn't run late. God cannot be late, right? Delay does not matter to God. Age does not matter to God. You can just ask Abraham and Sarah. The size of an army does not matter to God. Just ask Gideon. Right? The Lord chooses what he wills, even if he must come three days late to heal a sick man that has already died. He will even raise that man from the dead. Just ask Lazarus. So don't let the enemy or your emotions 
or even other people put pressure or the rush on you about anything. Don't let others give you an idol as the serpent gave an idol to Eve. We see the serpent did this to Eve, making her think that this was an important decision she absolutely needed to make to gain advantage. Society often does that to us. It tells us that we need this or we need that, but don't believe it. That is the fallacy of compromising to wickedness or selling one's proverbial soul to the devil. You will never get what he promises you because it, it's kind of like the idol itself described in Leviticus. It's worthless. There are people who have bowed down to sin and wickedness and depravity for gain, whatever that gain they thought it would be. And in the end, they find out it was worthless. They sell their bodies. They sell their talents and skill. They sell their strength or their position to sell out their loved ones or even God, their countrymen, right? Their friends and family for petty gain, for a promotion, for a bag, for a role, for a relationship, for a fleeting moment of power, only to find it was always a mirage. And Eve found out idols always prove to be worthless. They cause you to forfeit the real for the fake, right? Saul lost the kingdom of Israel over a worthless idol too. Esau lost his birthright over a worthless idol. Simon has lost his legacy. I'm sorry, Solomon has lost his legacy over the worthless idol of womanizing. Moses lost his way into the promised land over the worthless idol of anger. The first generation did not see the promised land because of the worthless idol of unbelief. What is your idol? Let it go to embrace the real value, the real God that gives us only good things. I pray you're well. Bye. Thank you for being a part of the One Love Live Love Walk Bible Study. I appreciate you. But perhaps you've stumbled onto this Bible study and you're not yet become a believer. I want to encourage you to take the time to accept the Lord Christ into your life. I want you to know that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that the Lord Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. If you can go ahead with me, close your eyes and pray. Oh Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sins. I will repent of my sins right now. That is, I will turn away from all the sins that I have done from before until now. And I want to seek to follow you. Lord, open my eyes and my heart to your truth. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I accept the Holy Spirit as the comforter and guide in my life. Continue to lead me. And I thank you so much for hearing my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you are now a believer. And I want you to believe in your heart. And if you have a chance, reach out to me and let me know that you receive the Lord. There's ways that you can contact me if you look in the description of this uh, Bible study. And I look forward to hearing from you and helping you on your love walk. Don't forget to sign up for our devotional emails so that you can be encouraged in your faith and grow. God bless you.
Hey guys, this is just an update to let you know that Love Walk is now at TikTok. You can find us at Love Walk Fellowship, all one word, at TikTok. And I just want to encourage you, don't forget to follow us at TikTok, like some of the videos, and if you want to leave a prayer request or ask a question, we can actually reach out to you right there. Remember, we are now at TikTok at Love Walk Fellowship. So welcome and come on aboard.